I'm very happy to to meet you, Tommy, on screen tonight, and we're all looking forward to hearing you. And um, on behalf of the the diocese as well as Saint Fannin's, um, you're very welcome. Thank you. Yeah. And and thank you to Lorna Sharp, our diocesan secretary, for acting as host tonight and being host, who generally, uh, generously and kindly assumes this role here. And may I also welcome Dr. Marjorie Stokes and Reverend Stephen Foster and a, a, a number of personnel who have acted as a support personnel, uh, particularly to those who make contact by phone uh, to us in the past and presently as, as well. Uh, we offer an, a listening ear and offer assistance, of course, to anyone who, who seeks trying to make contact with us. These talks tonight and this talk is in conjunction with the Church of Ireland Mind Matters initiative, where we try to wear, raise awareness and respond to the mental health needs of parishes and communities across Ireland. I can, I do believe that as a, a church, particularly in the Church of Ireland, we can make a contribution and can shine light on dark places. But it's with great, great pride and it's, it's a privilege, in, in, in fact, to welcome Tommy this evening. And earlier we were talking to his good wife, uh, Joyce, but Tommy was born in Czechoslovakia in 1935 uh, to Jewish uh, farmers and uh, parents and who lived uh, with their family on the farm until the age of eight. And at this age, laws started coming in that prohibited the movement uh, and right of Jewish people. Uh, and that is when he and his family went into hiding. Tommy and his dear mother, his brother and his grandparents were caught and taken to Belgian uh, Belsen in concentration camp in 1944, where they remained until the camp was liberated by the British in 1945. More than 30 members of Tommy's family were killed during the Holocaust. Tommy has received many awards for his efforts to promote tolerance uh, and to educate young people about the importance of remembrance uh, and uh, re kind of uh, connects with them to be able to allow them to get an insight uh, into what he experienced and to teach. And over the, the decades of knowing Tommy, he has never said no to schools. For example, he has been in the community school and, and college of, of uh, Killaloo there recently. And we have some of the students and teachers indeed joining us uh, uh, tonight. Uh, in 2011, Tommy wrote, I was a boy in Belson, published by the O'Brien Press. And Tommy, particularly, as I mentioned to you, you were, you did not speak for about 50 years about your experience. And I'm so conscious of so many people tonight who will be sharing and listening to us too, who cannot find words or vocabulary to speak about what they have. But Tommy, welcome. Thank you to Chum Limerick and, and Killaloo for being with us. It is an absolute privilege and it's just simply mind boggling here. And on behalf of all of us, thank you, Tommy. Thank you very much, Paul, and it's it's, uh, uh, it's an honor to 
be able to speak uh, to uh, your uh, uh, Church of Ireland and, uh, of course, to the people that uh, will listen to this uh, presentation. Um, uh, as you mentioned, I was uh, born in Czechoslovakia. Uh, today it is Slovakia. And uh, I'm living in Ireland uh, about 60 years now. And uh, I'm Jewish and also a Holocaust survivor. Um, I just first of all want to say about the tragedy of the Holocaust. And when, uh, when I started to talk about the Holocaust, and especially to young people, because that, that was my aim, uh, that uh, they should learn what happened if uh, a democracy uh, fails in the country. And uh, when I ask, especially because, of course, Ireland was a neutral uh, during the Second World War, and the people knew very little in Ireland uh, about the Holocaust and even less about survivor of the Holocaust. Uh, I began to speak a little over uh, about 10 or 11 years ago, and uh, it was the response uh, to the fact that when I asked, uh, especially students that I met in the, the museum, the Jewish museum in uh, uh, here in Dublin, and also when I started to go to school, and I would ask the student, what you know about the Holocaust? The usual re reply was sort of this hesitation. Well, uh, during the Holocaust, uh, about six million Jews uh, perished. And I don't like the expression perish because unfortunately they were murdered. They, they didn't just dis disappear into thin air. And uh, the number really doesn't mean anything, whether it is one person, hundred or thousand. If you lose somebody, it's a very personal tragedy. And therefore, the, the description of Holocaust, that six million Jews were murdered, wasn't the right way to express uh, what Holocaust was. And I was always looking for some uh, meaning to, to uh, say uh, why I don't like it until I saw another solo uh, uh, Holocaust survivor that uh, he used the right expression. And I want to quote him now as well. His name was Thomas Burgenhardt. He was a Holocaust survivor like myself. And what he said, I like to quote it to you. He said, to speak about the Holocaust in terms of numbers, six million, which is the way it is usually done, is unintentionally to dehumanize the victims and to trivialize the profoundly human tragedy it was. And that's what I always thought. I just didn't know how to say it. 
that thing. So what what actually was Holocaust? Holocaust is about racism, loss of freedom, loss of dignity, humiliation, loss of education, confiscation of property, enslavement, starvation, torture, mass execution, and finally, of course, the final solution to the Jewish question, which was decided at the Wannsee Conference on the 20th of January, 1942. Uh, with the encouragement and uh, uh, leadership of uh, Reinhard Hendel and Adolf Eichmann, they gathered uh, 15 high-ranking officials and officers uh, to this uh, uh, conference, Wannsee conference, and within less than two hours, they decided the fate of the entire Jewish population of Europe that numbered at the time around 11 million. Among them was also Ireland, which uh, had about 4,000 Jews. Thankfully, the German never uh, reached because these uh, uh, 4,000 would have been wiped out within a day. So uh, that's, that's what Holocaust was about. And uh, of course, the decision uh, in one conference was a very simple one. We have to, uh, uh, whatever they express themselves, uh, that uh, we have to eliminate the Jewish presence in Europe. And as we know, they succeeded to kill six million. But because uh, I'm a survivor, and especially uh, generally, people don't talk about survivor. People talk about the tragedy. They talk about the murder of the Jewish people uh, I speak about the survival, uh, which was, of course, a very frightening period uh, during the, uh, the Second World War from 1939 uh, to 1945. <clears throat> so I will divide it. Uh, first of all, I talk about my uh, uh, childhood. In Slovakia, um, I was born in Slovakia in a town of uh, and then uh, we lived in a small village called Merashice, with about 700 inhabitants. And uh, our family uh, was very popular in that village, and uh, we were integrated in the uh, village life. Unfortunately, what happened in Slovakia regard, regarding the uh, Jewish population, because the Jews were very spread over the country, it was sort of normal to see that in every village there would have been one or two Jewish uh, families. And so there wasn't actually a proper leadership 
for the Jewish people in Slovakia. Uh, the only thing that united us was the religion. And the, uh, in, the, in, in many villages uh, or larger villages, there would be one synagogue for the whole surrounding of many villages where Jewish people live. And they met in the a synagogue once a week and it's special on some holidays uh, that the Jewish people met in the synagogue. And of course, uh, that was also something that uh, hurt the Jews very much when the persecution and the deportation of Jews began from Slovakia because we did not have leaders to unite us we had no people to advise us what to do. And uh, therefore, the uh, fascist government on Slovakia had very easy job uh, to gather eventually the Jews and uh, pass them to the uh, German where they were murdered. Uh, when when uh, 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 the German uh, began the war uh, on the Polish border uh, and annexed the uh, Sudetenland of the Czech Republic. Uh, they also imposed a puppet government in Slovakia. The government of Slovakia was led uh, by a big anti-Semite. His name was Joseph Tiso, he was a Roman Catholic priest, and he surrounded himself with uh, nationalists. And it didn't take long time before he began uh, to introduce uh, uh, laws that uh, um, uh, racial laws in Slovakia, especially against the Jewish people. And it was called uh, in uh, at the time uh, uh, the Jewish Codex. They introduced this uh, law uh, in, in 1941, in September 1949, uh, 41, and it uh, contained 270 paragraphs uh, uh, exempting the Jews from the social life in Slovakia. Among these law was that uh, we had to wear a yellow star on the left side. Uh, we were not allowed to go to any public places like cinema, theater, uh, public uh, park or swimming pool. Uh, and we were not allowed to go to national school. Uh, we, we, we had to go to our own school uh, and they reduced the numbers of uh, doctors and, uh, and lawyers which were Jewish and uh, not in, um, in percentage uh, to the population, but uh, and the uh, Jews held uh, 
much bigger number uh, than the, the population of, of Jewish people in Slovakia. In fact, in Slovakia, there were between 85,000 to 90,000 Jews, about 3% of the population. Uh, so uh, uh, the government decided that if there are 3% of the population, so there will be 3% uh, of doctors and lawyers, uh, Jewish doctors and lawyers in Slovakia. So many professional uh, Jews lost their job. And they were not allowed to be employed. And uh, a lot of uh, small businesses that the Jewish people held were uh, confiscated by the government. I was at the time uh, six year old, so I started the school in the village, in the national school. But of course, once these uh, laws come out, uh, the Jewish code, I was uh, kicked out. In fact, I did not know uh, anything about what was going on, uh, how the persecution started, because simply my parents uh, didn't want to frighten me. So uh, I didn't know uh, anything about it, but I, I remember my childhood was an ideal uh, childhood in a village, not much different than villages here in Ireland. You had the main road going through the center of the village and it spread and satellite uh, roads were off the main road and there was the population of the village. Most of the people were farmers, it was farming uh, community. Uh, but our family was very much uh, liked in the village. We didn't feel much of the resemblance and uh, uh, we were integrated in the uh, village life and uh, anybody wanted any help with uh, finding a good doctor or a good lawyer, they would uh, ask my grandfather who had... Uh, the village shop, my father had a, a farm, he was a farmer, and uh, they would come to get advice. And uh, usually uh, they were advised to go to a Jewish, good Jewish doctor or lawyer. Uh, so uh, we, we were uh, also integrated in the sense that if uh, anything was happening in a family, whether it was wedding or funeral, uh, one of the members of the family uh, would be uh, attending. As a child, I played with the very children. They used to come to our farm and in the, uh, uh, we had a large uh, place, open place in the farm. And so I used to play with the uh, children uh, from the Village. But of course, when I was uh, kicked out of the school, uh, I went to the neighboring uh, town, which was called Nitra. They have about uh, 5,000 Jewish people. So they had several Jewish schools. 
and my aunt lived in this uh, uh, town. So it was the first time I actually left my home and uh, went. Uh, uh, I lived uh, separate in, in with my brother as well in this uh, little town. And it was there where I discovered for the first time that uh, we are different and people don't like us. So it, it was uh, uh, something, uh, as I said, uh, my, my parents, they didn't uh, tell me about it. And at the time, I was very innocent. And I'm talking about not necessarily myself, but uh, a six-year-old at the time was very innocent. It's not like today. The children from age of five, six, when they go to school, uh, because that they, they, they have all this information that they can get is from television, newspaper, and uh, and, and radio, etc. Uh, today, a six-year-old, when something happened in America or another place. They already know about it. They would tell you, you know, if uh, some tragedy happened, they know about it. I know from my grandchildren. They used to come, you know, granddad, uh, somewhere in the world, a plane crashed and many people uh, were killed. And in, in those times that I went to school, uh, uh, we didn't know anything, uh, anything beyond the village. I didn't know. I only know what was happening uh, sort of uh, around. And the news we got was simply when, uh, when uh, somebody went through the village and went to the pub, had some uh, to, to eat, and uh, they would leave the newspaper behind. That's how we knew about the international news, what is happening outside. And of course, uh, the propaganda at the time, also, uh, there was a problem. Today, if, if, if any, any line of uh, the political parties or uh, anything that uh, uh, they want to uh, uh, tell the people, you have it on television and you have the newspaper, they know about it. At the time, uh, these facilities were not there. So the propaganda against the Jews was carried out by the churches. Uh, at the masses in the churches, they would uh, tell the people that all the ills that we experienced by the shortage of food or sugar or uh, any other uh, thing, uh, unemployment, it was all fault of the Jews. And uh, Slovakia was, and still is today, very Roman Catholic uh, nation. So people went to, uh, to, to uh, the churches, uh, they dressed themselves in the best clothes and it was, uh, uh, everybody went. And slowly this, this uh, uh, terrible uh, propaganda, uh, the people listened to it because the churches were very 
a strong hold on the population. And so this hatred of Jews also arose in Slovakia. I have to mention that the priest of, of our village, his name was Ladislav Harangozo. He was a very good friend of my parents and they, they met at least, socially met at least once a week for a, a drink and, and a, a, a game of a, a card. And so he did not speak uh, against the Jews in the church. He was a very good uh, person. I still have some connection uh, today. Uh, uh, with the village, and uh, we mentioned many times uh, uh, Father Haran Gozo. Uh, I, he did also some things for us. I will tell you about it later in this uh, uh, story. But uh, I, we went to, to uh, the town, and of course, in town, the Jewish people lived in certain part of the town, so it was surrounded with uh, uh, police, and uh, if you did not adhere to the laws, uh, you would be very severely punished. So one of the things uh, I didn't know about was the yellow star, because even though the law was to, that we had to wear a yellow star, because uh, we were living in a village, uh, everybody knew us. They knew that we were Jewish. There was no police in the village, so there was nobody to enforce the law. So I never bought a yellow star. I never knew about the yellow star. But once I come to the town, uh, I saw my, before I was going to school, I saw my uh, and uh, sewing this uh, yellow star on my coat. It was about the size that I'm holding it, 10 centimeter diameter, and we had to wear it on the left side of our body. And so when my aunt was sewing this uh, star on my uh, clothes, I asked, what is that for? And she she said just nothing special, but she just said, uh, yeah, we are Jewish and we have to wear a yellow star. I was so innocent at the time, I didn't even ask why we have to. I just accepted it. And it was nothing. I didn't think about it. Why? Well, when uh, I started to go to school, because the Jewish people lived in certain area of the uh, town, so the synagogue, the uh, community hall, uh, the school was all very near. So my aunt, I think the school was about 300 uh, yards from where we lived, so she went uh, twice or three times with me. And then she said, you know where the school is, you can, be, you can go by yourself. Uh, as I said, I was at the time six years old. And um, suddenly when I went on my own, 
and I wore the yellow star, which identified me as a Jew. Uh, there were children on the corner of the uh, street where there was uh, a street shop or something. They would gather and be there. And once they saw me, they suddenly started to shout at me, you dirty Jew, you smelly Jew, go to Palestine, and all kinds of insults. Uh, but I couldn't do anything. I was on my own. They were in a group. They might not have been even uh, much older than I was, but there would be there many of them. So um, as the time passed, they become more aggressive. And they try to spit at me. They try to beat me up. So they did uh, uh, a few times catch me. And they would give me some tips in my backside and let me go. As a six-year-old, I was very small. And uh, it was very frightening for me. So I come many times home to... Uh, my aunt and I said, I don't want to go to uh, school because on the way I being uh, 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 persecuted and uh, frightened, uh, I'm being shouted at and uh, stones were thrown after me. So, uh, but it was no option. I had to go to school. My aunt just said, don't get involved, just go quickly and, and uh, don't don't say anything. And um, well, I had to suffer this uh, 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 aggressiveness on me. And uh, eventually I used to run all the way to the school and back as well. And if I saw children on one side of the road, I would run to the other side of the road so that they don't hurt me. So it was very difficult at time. But unfortunately, in the end of uh, 1941, beginning of 1942, uh, the first arrest of uh, Jews began in Slovakia. And it was the young people from uh, 16 to 26. So also our teachers were taken away. And so uh, one day, I, I, it would have been maybe February 1942, uh, that uh, the school uh, closed. We were sent home, and so my education ended. Uh, I, of course, couldn't go to school from 1942 till after the liberation, which was uh, 1945, beginning of 1946. And I had a very, very tough time even after the uh, war, because when I went to school, I couldn't read, I couldn't write, I couldn't do mathematics. I was already 10 years old at the time, and uh, I had to sit with uh, uh, children, six, seven years old, because I had to be taught from 
beginning. I, I, I lost all these basic, basic education. So the kids, I mean, at that age, one year makes a big difference. And um, the kids didn't understand what happened to me and what was wrong. They only saw this uh, uh, adult uh, child in the class. Uh, they can't read and write. And uh, of course, I was bullied uh, because they, they, they thought I'm stupid. I, uh, it's not that I didn't go to school and I couldn't go to school, but I simply stupid. I can't, uh, uh, I didn't learn how to read and write. So there was a sort of bullying going on and uh, it teacher something asked and I answered wrongly or didn't do it right, everybody laughed. So it was very difficult for me. And so after the school every day, when the rest of the children went to play football and enjoyed enjoying themselves, I couldn't. I had I, I used to sit and learn to have private teachers and um, I didn't have childhood. I didn't have the time for playing uh, outside. And so uh, I missed all this. Uh, but it took me about two years that I eventually joined my old age. And um, I must say that uh, my studies continued. Uh, eventually, I went to college and Finally, I qualified as diploma engineer. So my adult life uh, was quite successful. I eventually had my own business and uh, um, I didn't do badly in the end, despite the setback that I experienced. At the time, as I said, uh, the deportation started it went unabated until uh, uh, from March 1942 till October. And during this time, uh, about 50 transport, the Jewish people left Slovakia, each transport, about 1,000, 1,500 uh, uh, Jews. Uh, and so within these six months, about 57,000 Jews were deported, among them many, many uh, of my uh, relative uncle, aunt. I remember we telling them goodbye and not even crying because we didn't know what is happening. Everything was, uh, of course, very secret. And uh, we said, when all this is over, we will be reunited and everything will be all right. But unfortunately, once we said goodbye uh, to my uncle, aunt, and uh, cousin, uh, they were around uh, uh, over 30 from both sides of my family, from my father's side and mother's side. Uh, we just said goodbye and when it's over, we will be reunited, but uh, tragically, we never saw them again. I remember when my grandparents, uh, uh, my uh, parents of my father, 
were taken away, he had the village shop. First of all, they took the village shop from him. And then in July 1942, uh, they came for him. And it was one of the uh, officers. Uh, there were two people that came. It was a policeman because it had to be done all very legally. And one of them was from the Linka Guard, which was responsible uh, of uh, arresting Jewish people. And uh, the officer uh, uh, from the Linka Guard was a local man. And he used to do messages for my grandfather when he was a child. And my grandfather used to give him sweets for taking messages from the shop to some people that they order something. And my my father, he was younger than my father, and he, my father begged him, said, how can you, uh, his his name was uh, Ludomil, but he, he, he sort of, uh, uh, in his first name, said, Ludo, how can you do this? I, my, my father used to give you sweet, and uh, you know him very well and everything. And he, he kept his head up, didn't even look at my father. He said, I have all this. And in 10 minutes, he has to come with us. And so that's what happened. Uh, we said goodbye to my grandparents. Uh, and that was the last time that I saw them. So uh, the whole uh, tragedy that so many people went and very few returned. According to the statistics, out of the 57,000 Jews that were taken away in the beginning of 1942, it is estimated that about 270 to 500 survived. The rest of them were all murdered, mainly in Auschwitz and Lublin. So the Jewish, the Jewish population of Slovakia, in fact, were the first that were uh, gassed in uh, in uh, in Auschwitz, and it, it, it uh, even the deportation was delayed by about uh, two weeks because the uh, gas chamber were not ready. And um, once that, of course, we didn't know uh, about it, so. In October uh, 1942, the deportation ended, and there were two reasons for it. There, were, there are many, many reasons, but I want to mention two reasons. One was that uh, uh, the Jewish population that was still left in Slovakia, they collected a lot of money uh, to bribe their officials uh, to stop or delay or slow it down this deportation because by that time uh, we already heard that um, what is happening with the Jews. And the second thing, uh, second influence was the Vatican. The Vatican 
inform uh, 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 Joseph Tiso, they said, sent the message and said, stop deporting the Jews because they are killing you, uh, your uh, people. We were Slovak citizens. For example, when I was uh, gathering the uh, uh, family tree, I could go up to 1700. We already lived uh, uh, in Slovakia. So we lived in Slovakia hundreds of years, generations, and therefore we consider our Slovak. And suddenly uh, we were ex, the citizenship was taken away. And that was also a reason for it, because when uh, the Slovak government passed the Jews uh, to the German, uh, the Slovak government had no jurisdiction what will happen to these people, because they had no longer Slovak, Slovak citizenship. So they, they, they could do what they wanted and what, what they that was that they uh, uh, murdered them. But also the, the uh, non-Jewish people in Slovakia uh, were persecuted uh, because it was a dictatorial fascist regime in Slovakia. And uh, anybody didn't join the national party was discriminated against if you wanted to and get some jobs or uh, education. Uh, they had very uh, difficult time to get it because they were not uh, in the party. <clears throat> and uh, anybody uh, spoke against the uh, government uh, uh, and they were caught uh, sometimes, they just disappeared. They were uh, so the Slovak people, uh, beside the Jews, were suffering as well. So there was a lot of activity against the government, which culminated in the uprising, which happened on 29th of August 1944 in Slovakia, where the Slovak people rebelled against the uh, fascist regime and so uh, began to fight the Slovak police and the Slovak army. But many of the uh, soldiers defected from the uh, army and joined the rebellion. Many policemen defected the police force and also joined the uh, rebellion. So Joseph Tiso did not have the power uh, to suppress this uprising and therefore Germany, occupied Slovakia. It, Slovakia, in fact, was not occupied uh, while rest of Europe was being occupied because Slovakia was a friendly nation to the German. When the war broke out, um, Slovakia, of course, borders Poland, and therefore uh, it started on the Polish border, and through Slovakia, from Germany, they would transport the soldiers, the ammunition, and the heavy equipment. So Slovakia, in fact, was very friendly with Germany. And the German even uh, used the propaganda 
if a nation is uh, friendly to us, we have no interest to occupy them. And so Slovakia was a sort of an example for their, their propaganda, for the Germans' propaganda. When they saw the uprising, uh, they knew that Tiso couldn't su su suppress it. So they occupied Slovakia, not because they want to occupy Slovakia, they wanted to save Tiso regime. So, uh, because he was a friend of the Nazis in uh, Germany. Of course, once they occupied Slovakia, they didn't take long to suppress this uprising. About It took about three weeks. And many Slovaks, not necessarily Jews, uh, died in this uh, uprising. It is estimated, estimated about 15,000 uh, Slovak young men and women uh, were, uh, uh, died in this uprising. So it was very big a tragedy for the um, uh, Slovak nation. Of course, then when the German occupied uh, Slovakia, <coughs> uh, we were still in Slovakia, and we knew that the uh, deportation began again. And of course, uh, because the German uh, came not only with the soldier, also the Gestapo, the the German secret service come and they joined with the Linka Guard, which was the Slovak uh, police that were arrested, arresting the Jews. So they become very efficient uh, working together. And we, of course, knew that if we stayed in the village, sooner or later somebody will betray us. So we decided to leave uh, the village. And we went to uh, Bratislava, and from there, we were supposed to go to a, another village and uh, pretend that we were uh, Gentile, uh, because nobody knew us there. And uh, so, uh, go uh, survive uh, the war. Uh, but of course, with a name like Reichenthal, we wouldn't have gone far. Uh, very far because Reichenthal is a German name, but we were not German. Uh, so um, they would have known right away we were Jews if we wanted to move anywhere, within the uh, Slovakia, everywhere, the crossroad, there would be a soldier and in train station, and there would be the police, the Gestapo, and you had to identified himself. So we needed short paper. And uh, at the time, Father Ra Harangozo, the village priest, was the one that helped us. My mother, he always wanted to help us, but he, he suggested that uh, he will uh, convert us from Judaism to Catholic religion. And But that wouldn't have helped us because uh, the, many Jews did that, but then they brought uh, a law in Slovakia because what sort of a loophole that uh, only people that converted in uh, 1922 uh, from, uh, up to 1922 
we, we recognize in Catholic because at that time if you converted, you converted from persuasion. But afterwards, when the persecution of Jews began, people con began to convert uh, just to save their life. And of course, this is how they uh, closed this uh, loophole. And even if uh, we had uh, converted, uh, the, the government wouldn't have uh, recognized it. So we needed false uh, uh, faith paper at this time. So my mother said to Father Harangozo, uh, one of the evening they were playing card, he said, you know, you always wanted to help us. We need help now, we need false paper. And he said, he will get us the false paper. And he did. And the name was Vida. Uh, uh, Vida uh, was a typical Slovak name, like here in Ireland, we have Connor or Murphy, the typical Irish name. So Vida was a very Slovak name. So with this document, false document, uh, we were able to move, uh, to show our ID, and we, we, nobody would have suspected that we are Jewish. And uh, so that's what the priest did. He also uh, took my brother and myself, and uh, for about uh, three or four weeks, we used to go privately uh, to his uh, to the church, and uh, he would teach us um, something about the, uh, the basic thing about the Catholic religion. Because if we moved to another village, we couldn't just uh, run around the place and not go to school. We had to go to school as well. And if we didn't know anything about the Catholic religion, the children would have known very quickly uh, that we were not Catholic. So he taught us about the various holidays in the uh, Catholic calendar, about how to cross ourselves, how to make a grace, uh, all about the uh, 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 station of the cross, all these little things does that we were not totally ignorant. And uh, at the time, of course, that would have been a very severe crime uh, if the, the authority found out that he did, that he supplied this uh, false paper and he taught Jewish children, uh, uh, he wouldn't have been put on trial. He would have been put against the wall, against the church, and he would have been shot. So he really uh, sacrificed his, his life. It was very severe what he did. And when we were uh, caught, I remember my mother uh, hit the uh, hit the false paper because uh, she thought uh, if they get this paper, uh, they can trace it to him and uh, that he would get this uh, uh, punishment. So uh, she put it underneath a carpet, which I tried to find out after the war if the paper was still there, but it wasn't. So, 
Anyway, during this time when we moved from the village, my father stayed in the village. He had to look after the livestock and the field. We went uh, to Bratislava, and from there we were going to go to uh, this village. Uh, and we were also uh, to my grandmother, my mother's mother, we were picking her up as well. And she was coming with us. But unfortunately, somebody betrayed my grandmother. When my, my mother went to pick her up and she had to identify herself, of course, they saw Judith Vida, which was perfect. But unfortunately, uh, Father Harangozo did not change the maiden name, uh, which was uh, born Shaimovich. And her mother was Rosalia Shaimovich. So they immediately knew that uh, uh, the grandmother was the mother of my uh, mother. She was arrested and we were waiting for her. The next thing, uh, the Gestapo came and they beat up my brother and they beat me up because they wanted the confession that we were Jewish. Uh, then we had to give it to them. And uh, we were taken away and uh, taken to a detention camp in um, in Slovakia called Serek, where they centralized the Jews and from here, from the camp, and they deported to, to Germany. And um, on that day, uh, which was uh, uh, 16 of October, uh, 13 of us were arrested from the farm. Uh, they interrogated one person, beat him up, and he would uh, disclose a name from the family. And so there were uh, two cousins and aunt and uncle, uh, all together 13 of us were arrested uh, taken to Seret, and from there we were deported to Belgian Belsen uh, in Germany. Uh, Belgian Belsen was not extermination camp, but in Belgian Belsen people were dying, and they were dying from disease, uh, mainly typhus and diphtheria, tuberculosis, and then of course some starvation, a uh, cold, and and um, uh, 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 yeah, starvation, yeah. And um, uh, so even though Belgian Belsen was not an uh, extermination camp, in Belgian Belsen over 70,000 uh, inmates died, mostly Jews, but uh, also uh, many uh, Polish and Russian soldiers. So the camp was originally built for uh, uh, soldiers that, that were uh, captured by the German. Uh, but in 19, uh, uh, it, it, it started, the, the camp was started in 1939, but in 1941, it was converted to a detention camp. Many for Jews, but uh, they were also um, uh, 
Jehovah Witnesses, uh, gypsies, uh, uh, political prisoner, uh, I mean a German political prisoner. They were not uh, treated any better than the Jewish uh, prisoner, gay and lesbian prisoner, uh, and also from different countries, Poland, uh, Hungary, Czechoslovakia. Uh, altogether, the camp was built for about 25,000 uh, uh, inmates. Uh, the conditions there were, uh, of course, terrible. Uh, we starved. Uh, we had not enough clothing. Uh, we only have, the, I didn't, we didn't wear the striped uniform. We, we had our own clothes. So only what we brought with us, uh, that was also, uh, Belgian Belgium was north of Germany. The temperature would drop to minus uh, uh, 10, 15, 20, even minus 25. Uh, it was extremely uh, cold. And of course, people that got uh, uh, typhus, uh, they didn't get any the, uh, medication, uh, and therefore uh, uh, they got diarrhea, and uh, they got dehydrated, and finally they died. If you got a typhoon, uh, it was like sentenced to death. And so many people were dying in uh, Belgian Belgium. But, uh, Tragedy in Belgium, Belgium began in 1945, uh, from January up to April, uh, basically because uh, the German army was retreating, and as they were retreating from uh, the west to the east, they were taking the prisoners with. So many prisoners come to Belgian Belgians from uh, from Auschwitz, and uh, because uh, the railway line were destroyed, the road were destroyed, uh, they had to march all this distance, and these marches were called the death marches of Auschwitz. So. Uh, why they were called the death marches of Auschwitz? Because these were huge uh, groups that were marching. Uh, I'm talking about 10, 15,000 at the same time. So uh, one of the marches that arrived to, to Belgium, Belgium, started with about 15,000. By the time they reached uh, uh, Belgium, Belgium, only 5,000 were left. On the way, many people that couldn't, didn't have the strength, the German just shot them and left them on the side of the road. So if you uh, began to be sort of uh, left behind, uh, they just shot them and, and uh, they continued. So during this march from uh, uh, Auschwitz, uh, Many people died, and this why these marches and the name, the death marches of Auschwitz. So within a very short period uh, of a couple of weeks, uh, the population of Belgium, Belgium, 
rose from 25,000 to over 60,000. There was no room for them. There was no food for them. So huts that were built for 150, 200 uh, inmates, suddenly there were 600, 700 in the huts. And because of this huge congestion, an epidemic of uh, typhus broke out and people began to die in their hundreds. It is estimated that between January and April, per day, uh, 500 people were dying, 15,000 uh, per uh, month. At the time of liberation, which came on the 15th of April, it is estimated that in uh, Belgium, Belgium, uh, there were uh, around 15 to 20,000 20, corpses lying all around us. I remember playing among these uh, corpses because children are children. We had a, a place where we could play for the grassy area and suddenly we have these piles of uh, uh, corpses and we played among these corpses. The stench was unbearable. Uh, uh, these corpses were decomposing and rotting away. But we got used to it. We didn't even uh, smell it. And we used to play hide and seek. We didn't hide behind trees or walls. We hid behind pile of uh, uh, decomposing corpses. So I don't need to go to detail what was front of us when we were hiding and smiling and running around. Uh, so this this was a, a terrible experience. The children, we of course did have no idea of this uh, horrific crime that was happening in front of us. Uh, and therefore children that survived, we survived better than adults, because the adults understood that they knew what was happening. But we knew it wasn't right, but we didn't put grass that uh, uh, we thought like it, we, we, we deserved this or something. And uh, I must say, uh, my first uh, experience, uh, I did not have uh, uh, nightmares in sleep and I sort of adopted the uh, proverbs that, that I found and I, I stuck to it all the time and I still stick to it. And, and it is make peace with the past uh, so it won't spoil the present. And that's, that's how I uh, managed. I make peace with my past. I don't carry any uh, vengeance uh, or, or thing. In fact, I befriended uh, uh, Germans uh, and I studied in Germany, despite the fact that uh, only the years before I was incarcerated in Germany. Uh, but um, uh, it served me well and uh, I'm I, I not suffering. Uh, from the experience in the camp.
I usually finish the uh, lecture by uh, saying to the student, I've said to anybody, and that uh, if, if they see any bullying in the school, because today uh, the uh, population of Ireland is a multinational. I remember when I came to Ireland 60 years ago, there were no foreigners at all. Uh, and, and today, uh, over 20% in Ireland, we have uh, uh, foreign uh, nationals. And we had uh, quite a problem. Any school, we had a problem. Uh, it is now a little better with reservation, insult. And of course, uh, uh, this this happened when also um, people with a different color uh, they, they they were mistreated and um, uh, different religions. Uh, so it's very important uh, that uh, we don't uh, let anything like this uh, happen again. Uh, sadly. We had here in Ireland a couple of demonstrations against the uh, Ukrainian uh, uh, refugees, uh, which is, uh, didn't do us any good as far as uh, foreign uh, policy is concerned. And of course, it's very terrible to do it against the uh, people that come to Ireland, not because they wanted to have a better life, they just wanted to have a life. They are here, they will, uh, please God, one day go home. And uh, we should show uh, our, our friendship and help to these, these people. And also, we must uh, never forget the Holocaust. And of course, I'm doing my best uh, to tell the story to as many people as I can, uh, because um, uh, we have to learn that uh, history doesn't repeat itself. This is what we want, but unfortunately, we had several genocides, uh, like Srebrenica, which happened in Central Europe. And this, uh, I was at a, a burial place where they buried over 7,000 uh, uh, people in Srebrenica for one reason only, because they were Muslims. Uh, and that reminds me very much of the Holocaust. We suffered for only one reason, uh, because we were Jewish. Uh, so we must not forget and teach, especially our young people, how important it is that anything like this happened, uh, and, and one of the things I tell them, uh, that the Holocaust did not start with Garstender. Holocaust started with Whisper, and then uh, uh, Towns, and Dubbing, and then the later abuse, abuse, and finally murder. I'm not suggesting that it would happen here, but uh, uh, we have to stop her at the uh, whisper uh, uh, stage, because if we let it go, it might too late. Uh, 
and I finished with a, a, a poem that was written in 2001 by Yehuda Bauer, and it is very appropriate to um, my uh, presentation. The horror of Holocaust is not that it deviated from the human norms. The horror is that it didn't. What happened might happen again to other, not necessary Jews, perpetrated by other not necessary Germans. We are all possible victims, possible perpetrators, possible bystanders. Thank you for the patience. And now if uh, anybody has a question, uh, we devote a couple of minutes uh, to anything about the Holocaust or about myself, but we'll be delighted to answer. Well, Tommy, thank you so uh, much. Um, I, I just want to acknowledge uh, there tonight that we have, and Tommy, the school that you were in so recently in St. Anne's Community College in Killaloo are here uh, with us. And a thank you to the acting principal, Beverly Hartigan, but the chaplain of the school, Carol Torpy, uh, is here with you. You would have met Carol there and you, you can see her uh, uh, Tommy, in, in that regard. So we welcome Carol there, and if there's any students there as, as, as well, because we have great links with, with St. Flannan's. Also, Tommy, just an interesting thing as you take a little breath, and people are perhaps are thinking of questions. We were so privileged in St. Flannan's uh, in relatively recent times to be able to host with the Jewish community nationally and internationally a bar mitzvah that okay. we had in St. Flannan's uh, Cathedral. And of course, within that, of course, the Shoah and the remembrance of the Holocaust is so significant uh, uh, for us as, as well in that regard. Um, I know um, our thanks there to Lorna acting as host. Lorna, I just wonder if anyone amongst our participants has a question for Tommy, please feel most at ease to seek uh, and ask a question. And, and I welcome visitors from the United States, the United Kingdom and Europe who are with us tonight too. Paul, I'd just like to say, I think he is a remarkable man. And my father was a prisoner with the Japanese. Now I know that was totally different. I can't count whether he lived 50 years after he came back, but he never spoke about it. Yeah, yeah. What we heard, we heard from my mother, which he would have told, and that would have been very little. Uh, but you are a remarkable man to be doing what you have done, to have seen what you've seen. And thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you very much. For I was a refugee in Australia and had, had a good time as a child. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and unfortunately, my father came back. Uh, it's equally it's, remarkable. So um, yeah, a much happier family it. story than yours. Yes, we yeah. can all, all in these tragic events, it's all, we all have the same story, all the Holocaust survivors, but each one is a miracle. Uh, you can't describe it uh, any no. other way. No. Uh, uh, Janet, thank you so much for, for that question. Tommy, can I just ask you just something that I would have heard you referring to before? 
the fact that Janet was able to share that her dad never spoke about it. And for so much of your life, Tommy, you didn't speak about it. Could I ask you just to comment on why you didn't speak about it, Tommy? It wasn't that I, I didn't want to speak about it. I just couldn't speak about it. I remember many times when we were watching television and there would be some uh, mention of Holocaust and uh, they would show archive film. Most of these archive films, it's Belgian Belsen. And I just, once it came on the screen, I just could change the station. I couldn't even yeah. uh, look at it. And um, I just couldn't speak about it. It, it, it was until I realized that, that I am uh, one of the last witnesses uh, to this uh, tragic event. And I lost uh, so many people from my own family in, in uh, the Holocaust that uh, I, I thought I owe it to the victims that their memory is not uh, forgotten. And at the time, I always say this, uh, I didn't speak for nearly 60 years, but now nobody can stop me speaking about it. <laughs> Because it's so important. That it is important. Yeah, it is. I mean, I noticed from one of our participants, there's a question that has just surfaced there. When you came to Ireland first, did you experience any anti-Semitism? I must say that uh, Ireland, uh, 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 how I say, grabbed me with both hands. I never experienced any any derogatory remarks or anything, and uh, I found the, the Irish people and also the country is so beautiful uh, that when I, I sp speak with anybody, I go abroad or anything, I said, you can live in height of luxury in New York and uh, 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 in luxury and everything. Uh, Ireland is the most beautiful and peaceful place on the earth. And I think it's true. We, we have no extreme winter, we have no extreme summer, we have uh, forests, lakes, sea, mountain, everything you want. Where in other countries you have to travel hours to reach sea, we have it. 10 minutes and we are at the sea. You want to go to, to a lake and picnic, you just go half an hour out of Dublin and you can do that as well. So even though uh, I, I was not born in Ireland and uh, I come here, as, a, as a, I didn't come as a refugee, but I, I come, I set up a factory here for uh, industrialist. Uh, unfortunately, I, I lost my wife in 2003 uh, due to uh, uh, cancer. She had cancer. Then I met Joyce. Uh, I still, uh, this is my home now. So uh, I'm always proud to be in Ireland uh, with the, the situation in Europe and uh, internationally, uh, we're doing very well.
I hope the Irish people appreciate this. People in America appreciate it too. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Tommy, I wonder if I can ask a question. Um, just first of all, thank you so much as well for for your presentation. I actually, when I was in school about seven years ago, you came to my school in Dublin. So it's really nice to see you again and and hear from you again. I guess one thing that's really interesting to me is you're saying that you made peace with your past can you talk a little bit about that and I guess kind of how you go about making peace with such a traumatizing past yeah uh, I did I did the peace in the past I, I don't uh, carry any ventures or anything in fact I uh, I wanted to meet a uh, uh, guard, uh, which I discovered uh, while I was here, I discovered that she was alive. Uh, she died about uh, two years ago. Uh, she was nearly 100. And I discovered that uh, she's alive, living in uh, Hamburg in Germany. And I decided I wanted to meet her. Uh, not necessarily forgive her uh, because unfortunately she was accused of killing two people and she uh, stood a trial for that crime and uh, she served a year in prison uh, in 1947-48. Uh, so she uh, she got one, one year today if you kill two people you get a life sentence. And uh, I wanted to uh, meet her because uh, if we looking all, on these uh, uh, people in in uh, that committed these uh, crimes, uh, there is a very gray area, and I, I'm saying it maybe uh, because I'm too naive to uh, sort of think in extreme way. Uh, thinking that everyone that uh, committed some uh, crime should should be sitting in a in a in a uh, prison, uh, and that would include probably not today anymore because the old uh, Nazis, uh, most of them are gone. But uh, I'm saying after the war, probably they they would have to lock the whole German nation. Because everybody had something to do. Uh, uh, the men that were all in the army or in the SS or in, in one of these uh, extreme units of, uh, of uh, uh, Einsatzgruppen, which, which uh, the job they had to do was shooting the Jews wherever they went to. So, but many of these people, uh, some of them were educated, indoctrinated uh, uh, with this hatred from their childhood till become adults. So when I wanted to uh, meet this woman, I, I wanted to meet her the, uh, because I wanted to hear from her that she show some compassion, some recognition that what she did and what happened 
was wrong. But unfortunately, uh, she was one of these deniers uh, and all her interviews and everything that she made, in no time she ever uh, admitted or uh, said, I'm sorry that it happened, show any, uh, any humanity. Uh, so in the end, I didn't meet her. And uh, today I say I'm glad I didn't meet her at the time. But uh, this woman as well, uh, she had a drunkard uh, uh, father. Uh, her mother had to work very hard as a peasant in field. Uh, so she was brought up by her grandmother. Uh, she didn't go to school all the time. And then he joined, then she had to join the Hitler Jugend the the Mädchen interview, in other words, for girls. And from the age of 12 uh, till she was a guard in our camp, uh, she was 23 years old. All this time, she was indoctrinated and her brain was uh, uh, confused. Uh, and I sort of said to myself, Imagine if I was brought up the same way, who knows what I would have done. So not everything is black and white. There is a gray area as well. So I didn't want to dwell in the gray area. I just put it behind me. I said, why well, have to, there are other people, they should deal with this situation. And that's the reason that I, I say, I, I made peace with the past. I made peace with it. It's no point to suffer uh, and thinking about it and trying to uh, impose some kind of uh, revenge and talk against these people. I don't know the circumstances, why they did it, why they wanted to do it. So let the past go. And make a peace with it, and it doesn't spoil my present time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, Tommy. Um, I just, mine isn't a question, mine is more of a thank you. I had the happy pleasure of picking you up from the train station in Ennis a few years ago and taking you back west to Kilrush um, oh. as a much younger chaplain. And um, after I dropped you back to the train that evening, uh, I think I cried the whole way home because I knew I had spent a day with an absolutely beautiful human being. And thank you for for allowing me to share that moment with you. It was really special to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you know, it, it's interesting. People met me and when they met me, some of them would say, you remember, like yourself, I took you to the train station. I can't remember because I meet so many people all the time. And and I I have to always apologize. You remember me, but I need to apologize at all. <laughs> Kami, I know it's been asked of, of you before, and mm -hmm. I hope it's appropriate just to ask <laughs> your experience in your life and image of God 
both in, I, I suppose, the Jewish and the Christian, irrespective of creed and, and belief, your your your, I suppose, your understanding of God and a higher power. Where is it at, or you know, can you give insight into that of past and present? Well, uh, you know, I I saw in my life a lot of terrible thing, but I saw uh, in uh, in Belgium, Belgium, I saw uh, man raising the hand toward the uh, uh, towards the uh, up uh, and begging the God to step in to stop this carnage that was happening. And unfortunately, <laughs> Uh, it didn't stop, uh, and uh, it, that had very uh, great uh, influence on my uh, upbringing. And uh, uh, I respect everybody uh, that believes in God, whether it is in the Jewish uh, um, synagogue or uh, Christian, Muslim. Uh, and I respect uh, uh, that they believe in God. And it, it one, one reason is that the people that believe in God, if they have a treasure in the family, uh, they can uh, much easier uh, to absorb this, this pain. Uh, it's the wish of God. And uh, of course, I'm contributing to, to our own community. But I remember I had a very life-saving uh, operation because I had a cancer. And uh, I have friends, uh, many priests, uh, friends. I have, uh, I know very well uh, the, the uh, leader of the uh, uh, Muslim community here. They come all visit me, uh, of course, the Jewish people. So, uh, people prayed for me, they were Muslim, Jews, Christian, and I appreciated every one of them. And in the end, uh, I survived. So this was again a miracle for me, but uh, who knows? Maybe there is somebody there that um, helped me. Uh, but I'm not a big believer. I uh, celebrate uh, the various uh, uh, various um, um, celebrations or, or thing in the Jewish religion um, and uh, I go a couple of time a year to the uh, synagogue as well but uh, I'm not a, a big believer in in God, but as I say, I respect everybody and that uh, choose to their uh, grandpa grandfather, he was very religious. My father was also uh, religious. He had uh, kosher in the house and all these things uh, that, that uh, um, we had to um, go by. But um, yeah, this is my. Uh, I I had a very 
nice uh, experience. Uh, it was better starting to talk about it, but uh, there was a book written uh, and it was published by the Roman Catholic uh, um, printing thing, whatever that, that place was. And they wanted to, uh, they asked me to contribute an article. Where was the God during the coronavirus? And I, I wrote an article, it's a very nice article, not that I, I uh, uh, condemn in any way uh, the, the, the religion or anything like this, but uh, uh, there were articles from the Bishop of uh, Dublin. He also wrote an article in there. And uh, I, I sort of thought to myself, oh, God, but he might be thinking about my article like I wrote. But it was a very respectful article. And in the end, it transpired when uh, the book was uh, uh, published. Uh, so there were many people that contributed to the book, and um, I was the last last to be interviewed on the uh, radio about the book. And uh, they, they said that my article was the best. <laughs> I just want to thank you, Tommy, for this evening, for giving us an insight into your childhood and your life since. You are truly inspirational, a very positive, upbeat person. And it's been a very, it makes, it should make us all think and take with us. I think that proverb will definitely stick with me, make peace with the past so it won't spoil the present. Um, and it would, I think also the point you made earlier about appreciating where we're from and what we have around us. Sometimes we might lose sight of that. Uh, with the with the everyday rigors of life, but uh, thank you very much for for this evening. And thank you very much for inviting me as well. And uh, also, Paul, it's lovely to see you again. And I thank wish you. you and your diocese and everybody everything uh, best. Um, well, Tommy, thank you so much, and to all our participants, uh, Tommy. If I was just to acknowledge that next week in the series of talks, we have uh, Larry Declare speaking physically in St. Fannin's Cathedral. And Larry is someone who works with the Bedford Row uh, project in the family project in Limerick. And Larry supports families and children affected by imprisonment. And he has that experience of over uh, 20 years. Incidentally, amongst us tonight is... In two weeks' time, our speaker, Father Bernard uh, Lynch. Bernard, you are so welcome. And I, I just saw your lovely comment there to, 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 to Tommy Bernard. I'm looking forward to welcoming you to um, Killaloo very, very, very soon. Uh, Tommy, to conclude tonight, would, it, would you be at ease if I was just to offer a prayer on behalf of all of us this evening, Tommy? Thank you very much. Yes. Okay. okay. My friends, all of us gathered here, Lord God and Father, we remember before you all those who bear the inner and outer scars of the Holocaust and of subsequent acts of genocide. 
Let them not be overwhelmed by the horrors that engulf them. Be close to them. Help them to see that you suffer with those who suffer and that no wickedness can ever extinguish your infinite love. Restrain those who are filled with hatred and use violence to pursue their ends. Change their hearts. May remembrance and truth honey make us all alert to the reality of evil in its deceptive allure. Help us to recognize our own capacity for evil and allow your spirit to purge it away from our beings. Help us also to stand up against evil and oppression, even if that means we have to suffer ourselves. Enable us to defend those who are not strong enough to defend themselves and to be ready to bring the light of your truth into the dark areas of human experience. Deepen our respect for everything you have made and help us to share in securing the maximum good of every person who is alive in your world. And on behalf of all of us here in our diocese of Chum, Limerick and Killaloo and in the Church of Ireland, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, carries our sorrows, heals our wounds and is risen for our freedom. And Tommy, on behalf of all of us to you, Joyce, you and yours of the past and present, we simply say Tommy to you, Shalom. Shalom. Tommy, thank you so much. And Lorna, thank you for being the host and to all our participants. No problem. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Good night Amen. and thank you all. Thank you. Thank you, thank you Tommy. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.